The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, the parents of Jesus took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. We have a curious, at first glance, selection of readings today. This day that we call the Feast of the Holy Family, and one might wonder why these particular readings are set in front of us. They don't seem to say very much about family life but that is only at first glance. For in fact, they say something absolutely profound about family life. Because they show us a fundamental truth that we don't reflect upon enough. 
Salvation comes into the world through the family. Salvation comes into the world through the family. And note what that simple statement says about the importance of the family. Not simply in general, but in the concrete particularity of your family in the eyes of God. In fact, when we pay close attention to the story of salvation, the history of salvation, we see something absolutely marvelous. That in the very beginning, life, human life, comes from God. But that human life is ordered to the family. Adam and Eve are created for one another. And even though God is the source and the origin of all life, he is pleased to allow men and women to share in the great gift of bringing life into the world through the family. There's something divine about that, something wondrous about that. The tragedy of original sin is not just that Adam and Eve were disobedient in the garden, it was that a family fell into disorder in the garden. And so much of the history of the world has been the goodness and the tragedy of the family, walking side by side through history. And as we put it that way, we can look at our own families and probably see both of those things present within them. Goodness and struggle, blessing and difficulty, health and woundedness. But when Adam and Eve fell, a family, the family, and therefore all families, fell into a certain amount of struggle. And so it was only fitting then that when God set his eyes on the salvation of the world, he set his eyes on a family. That is what we celebrate today. The holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The family toward which the movement of salvation is ordered. The family into which salvation is born. The family that God had in mind when he promised that one day salvation would come. In fact, then, in acting this way, the Lord has ordered all families in a very real way to this family of Nazareth. The family of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Because all things are ordered to that family, how does the Lord prepare salvation? By calling a family. And that's why we have in our first reading something of the story of the great patriarch Abraham. The Lord saying, I will raise up a family for you. From your descendants, the world will be blessed. Why does Abraham receive that blessing? Because it leads to Jesus, because Christ must come. A family is called, a family is selected, and made a vehicle of blessing in the world. And how the Lord chooses to do that is wondrous again, because he chooses a family, a marriage, grown old, 
And while there is love, there is also childlessness. And it looks like there is no future for that family. There are no heirs, no descendants. That's behind the question that Abraham is asking God in the reading. You've promised blessings, but what good is it to my family if I have no children? And so the Lord speaks a word into his old age, into his struggle, into his futility. This one who lives a life hoping for goodness, and yet in the midst of everything he has still seems to come up short somehow. So much like us. So much like our own families in their goodness and their imperfection. And out of the impossibility of old age, life emerges. And from that life, a blessing. But note then that when we speak of the people of God, the people of God springs up from a family. And this very people of God moves through history so that this family will be present. We all know the story that we celebrated on Christmas Day. The movement of a family. According to the orders of the mighty, this poor family must uproot itself and move. We know the story of the family without shelter because there is no room for them. And we are reminded of the fact that oftentimes in our own families, there are so many things that crowd out our time for one another. There are so many things that make us seem unimportant or powerless. And moving through all of that, we see that in the midst of their poverty, in the midst of their struggle, there's a wealth that the world cannot give, and a greatness that no earthly king possesses, simply in the gift of that child. And note the family into which God comes. If we're going to speak of the holiness and the purity and the perfection of the Virgin Mary, if we're going to speak of the goodness and the mercy and the justice of Joseph, we also have to speak of their poverty. We also have to speak of their struggle. We also have to speak of the fact that they still had to do all of the same things our families need to do. And they still had to navigate the same kind of relationships our families have to do. And note what that says about your family and your household. Because this is how salvation comes into the world. It is a remarkable thing, a wondrous gift. And so we have in our gospel reading today the family moving as a family to the temple. And what do we see as well? That this family, the holy family, is ordered not to worldly affairs, not to worldly concerns, although they don't ignore them. But it is ordered first and foremost to the will of God. Because it is God who blesses the family. It is God who gives life. 
It is God who has established the family, and so it is God who understands the family and values the family even more so than we do. And in valuing the family that way, the Lord gives us this model now of a family that moves together according to the will of God, moving to the temple. And in arriving to the temple, something wondrous happens. Because in that temple, there are two elderly people. Our first reading had Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And in our gospel reading, we have another man and woman in their old age, not married to one another, but who live the life of the family. Both of whom, both of whom in their old age were still striving to do what is good and what is right. One of whom is a widow whose marriage was cut short by the loss of her husband. And most of her years, most of her years are spent not as a wife, but as a widow. And again, one would say, a woman without a future, a woman without security. And yet she doubled down on her faith, even though the consolation she was looking for was a long time coming. And then there's old Simeon, promised by the Holy Spirit that he would, his life would not end until he saw the consolation of Israel. And imagine a promise like that. I am going to be alive until I see that consolation. And year after year, the consolation doesn't arrive. Year after year, and yet he remains faithful and he looks for it. And in these two people, Anna and Simeon, is a world grown tired and grown old and waiting and yet still finding the strength to look forward in hope. And note how that hope is satisfied. In the temple that day, a family arrives. Note how wondrous that is. In the ordinary movement of a husband and a wife coming to the temple, holding their child in their arms, the face of salvation is recognized and made visible. Note how the Lord is pleased to show Simeon the consolation of Israel. He doesn't send Jesus walking into the temple by himself. Jesus is carried in by his mother, accompanied by Joseph. A family enters, and there's something about that family that is different. There is something about that family that communicates blessing and goodness. They are not wealthy. They are not famous. They are not powerful. They have no status. And yet there is something about them as they walk into the holy place, which catches the attention of this holy man and this holy woman. And in seeing that family and then seeing that child, 
they see the consolation that God has promised to his people. Note how important the family is in the eye of God, in the plan of God. Note what a wondrous thing this is. And even as salvation is celebrated in this family, they do not linger, and they do what families must do. They have to go back home. The Holy Family doesn't live in the temple. The Holy Family doesn't live next door to the temple. The family goes to the temple, and just like we'll do today, who come to church, we'll go back home afterwards. Note that movement. They go to the house of the Lord because they belong there. But they don't live there. They go back home where they live every day. And that movement of going back home is the movement of Jesus. Note how Jesus gets to the temple. He's not born there. Jesus is brought there by the family he's born into. And when he's done there, he goes back with his family to their house, to their home. And note what that says about Jesus. Because where does he grow up? At home. Just like our children. Where does he grow up? In the same situations in which we live and find ourselves. In fact, Jesus will spend 30 years of his life on earth simply living at home in Nazareth. Traditionally, we say Jesus was alive for 33 years. He was only active as a preacher for three, for 30, 10 times as much. He lived the life of a man of the family. He worked. He attended to his mother and his father. He lived that life that all too often the world around us says is not so very important. And yet it was so greatly important to him that he spent 30 years there. He saved the world in three because he spent those 30 at home. And so the Lord grows in God's favor. The Lord grows in wisdom and obedience and knowledge and grace. Where? At home with his family. And note, nothing was more important to Jesus than doing that. Because if there was something better for him to do, he'd have done it. Jesus gave more glory to God by living 30 years the basic life of the family than he would have done by working miracles or preaching over that time. Note what that says about the value of where you live every day. The Lord values it so much, he lives it too. We think of Jesus as the preacher, the miracle worker, the one who wandered from place to place, and that's all true later in his life. But most of his life, he was the man of the household, the man of the family, one who worked with his hands, one who lived at home 
and one who valued after God his father, his earthly family. What a remarkably beautiful thing that is. And so it is that we cannot celebrate this family without celebrating our families. We cannot speak of the goodness and the greatness of this family without also recognizing that even at their most dysfunctional, there is hidden within our families, likewise, a certain goodness, a certain greatness. It may not always be obvious. It may be buried so deep it's hard to find it, but it's there. What a remarkable gift that is. When the church speaks about the family, about the good of marriage, about the blessings of the household, it says something absolutely remarkable, and it does so by making a comparison. Because the church teaches that religious life, which I belong to, characterized by vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, a life that is lived outside of an earthly family to a large extent, that the life that I am called to live symbolizes the not yet of the kingdom of God. That it's not here yet. It's on the way, but it's not here. Like Simeon and Anna experienced. Looking, looking, but not yet. But the church says something different about the family, about your family. and says the great grace of family life, of your life, is that it symbolizes the fact that there's an element of the kingdom that's already here. That there is a goodness already here, an abundance, a life-giving abundance, a life-giving glory of grace all ready, present among us. And the sign of it is your family. We speak about that far too little. The fact that simply being a family trying to make it work, you are a sign to the world of the nearness of the kingdom of God. And why? Salvation comes through the family. And how wonderful it is that we can gather here in great numbers as families in this very place, which we also refer to as the house of God. And why? Because salvation involves the family. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God the Father, comes to this earth. Why? To adopt us into his family. To make us, too, sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, to receive us into his household. Note how wonderful that is. The great image of being saved is belonging to a family. Not an earthly family, but a heavenly family. Not a passing family, but an eternal family. And from the very beginning, as God decided to create and redeem the world, that is what he saw. And in seeing all of that, he saw your families. 
And so it is only good and right that on this day, we will after Mass pray blessings over your families. Because why has he come? In no small measure. Because the family has fallen and needs to be lifted up. And he won't do that from outside the family. He'll do that as one who knows better than we. The goodness, the greatness, the beauty, and the joy that live at the heart of the family. And so very much the joy involved in having a Merry Christmas is about the restoration of that joy, that it might increase and abide in all of us and in all of our homes. And that is our prayer for all of you. However far flung the members of your family may be, whatever difficulties, whatever struggles your family knows, however exciting the opportunities that lie before your household may be, our prayer for you is that the joy of this season be very much a discovery of a greater depth of the joy of the life of your own family as well. Amen.